the topic, avoiding sexual landmines. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm a pastor. That means then I'm also not only a Bible teacher, but I'm a spiritual father. This topic is a very tough topic because of the poor decisions that many people may have made. So as a spiritual dad, my job is not to harm you. My job is to be able to come alongside of you as if we're sitting in our living rooms talking privately, just you and me, and being very vulnerable with one another so that you'll be able to understand God's amazing design for sex, but more particularly, how do you handle your sexuality so that you'll be able to maximize God's plans for your life. A landmine is an explosive device. It's placed either on the ground or right under the ground. If you touch it or if a truck touches it or an animal, boom, it explodes. There are all kinds of landmines. They're sexual ones. The Bible is not unafraid to tackle this topic. In fact, it tells us stories of how people were so successful in avoiding the sexual landmines. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit put a caution tape around the sexual landmines, and when you're sensitive, you stay away, because you know, caution, cuidado, Spanish, caution, so you know, don't go near that. There are some Bible characters that didn't take heed. And I'm going to bring you into the life of a man by the name of David. In fact, he was a second king of Israel at this time. He was very well known. In fact, the most well known king in all of history for Israel. He was the most well liked. He was very famous. In fact, when you read the book of Psalm, which has 150 of them, David wrote 74, and some scholars say 75, David penned them. This guy had a lot of good stuff going on. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. 
the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Three words that'll change everybody's life. I am pregnant. I want you to be almost as if you were fly on the wall in the palace there with David. Scripture is very specific in the words that it drops. It's almost hints. And when you unpack those hints, you say, whoa, I, I had no idea. Scripture says it was springtime when kings go off to war. Why springtime? Because the roads were no longer muddy. They were dry. So chariots can go across them. Horses can easily gallop. Soldiers can march through it. It was springtime. Farmers that had farms flanking main roads, the soldiers can raid the farms and get food to eat. The scripture says Bathsheba was bathing. It was her, her, her monthly cycle. She, her, her menstrual or period had just ended and she was cleaning herself in a very detailed kind of way. Now she wasn't some risque, lewd woman. A palace is normally situated on a hill. And you can look down into the valleys or on the plains. And David got out of, the, of his bedroom and walked on his deck, on his patio. And he's looking over the city of Jerusalem. And, and he looks and he sees a woman and she's bathing. Now, she wasn't lewd because homes oftentimes had a courtyard, you know, walls surrounding a perimeter, and then you have in the middle of all the external walls this private courtyard. It's almost blocked away. But Bathsheba had no idea that from the king's vantage point, he can see her. And he looked, and he stared, because he's able to determine she is very beautiful. All of that time, he could have said, caution, cuidado. But he chose not to do that. And what did he do? He sent someone to inquire, who is that woman? Messenger goes and checks out because David may have said, hey, there's a, there's a house around this particular area and is this looking, it has this kind of roof structure and, and there's a woman there. I want you to find out who she is. He comes back and he says, this is Bathsheba. She's the granddaughter of Ahithophel. Ahithophel. When you read scripture, Ahithophel is one of David's advisors. In fact, this guy was so sharp so shrewd, so sagacious, so wise. In 2 Samuel 16, verse 23, they said, when Ahithophel speaks to you, it's like you hearing a word from God. Whoa. Then on top of that, they said, she's the daughter of Eliam. Eliam? Eliam was one of David's 30 mighty men. He had a... It's almost like a, a special forces, a Navy SEALs, 30 guys that were so tough and powerful when it came to warfare and fighting, and he had them grouped off so you couldn't join them. It wasn't like, okay, I'd like to be one of them. No, no, no. You can't opt in. You can only be selected. 
based on what you've done. Her dad was one of them. Then it says, and the wife of Uriah. Uriah? When you check the scriptures, Uriah was also one of the 30 mighty men of David. Her dad, powerful. Husband, powerful. There was war going on. Dad wasn't there. Husband wasn't there. David couldn't see there was a sexual landmine that he's about to step on. Bathsheba couldn't see that there was a sexual landmine that she was about to step on. So I'd like to be a forensic pastor today. So what is that? I want to look at the tragedy and see how can we have avoided it if we had to do it all over again. What could David and Bathsheba have done to avoid their sexual landmine? Answer, practice self-awareness. Self-awareness is when you, it's when you inspect your insides. What's going on in your inner world, your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your values, your beliefs? See, it's so important for you to check out what's going on. Because if you don't know what's going on on the inside, then you're going to do certain things outside all because you didn't check yourself. See, nobody wakes up one day and says, you know, I'd just like to sin today. It's a Thursday, I'd like to sin. Thursdays are very good days for affairs. Nobody wakes up and says, you know, I just want to blow up my life today. Nobody does that. But when we do find ourselves stepping on and activating a sexual landmine, it's often because we have never practiced self-awareness, never investigated the interior of our lives carefully. An African proverb says, when there is no enemy within, the enemies outside can do you no harm. So you got to know what's going on inside. Every September, my oil contractor who delivers oil to my house calls me and says, Mr. Ireland, we'd like to do our annual checkup of your heating system now before winter hits so that you never have a breakdown. I always take that call. Because the worst thing is to be able to be in the middle of winter, December, frigid, cold, and then your furnace breaks. And so when the checkup occurs, you avoid all kinds of calamity and tragedy. David, the scripture tells us of his emotional state and his psychological state. David was bored. It was a time when kings go off to war. David wasn't going. He had won so many military conquests, so many battles he's been victorious over. He's bored now. I don't need to fight against the Ammonites. Joab and the guys, you take care of it. I'm staying home. Boredom leads to sin. It was evening, Scripture says, when he got up from bed. Now, if you're getting up from your, your sleep in the evening, and you didn't have a night job, and here you are getting up at 6 p.m., you're just getting up. Yeah, man, I'm just... Nothing exciting, nothing that I'm pursuing, no great goals, no great dreams, no great promises of God that really excites me, so I'm simply bored. David's spiritual life was lukewarm at best. 
So how do you know it was lukewarm? Because no one can fall into an affair or experience sexual mishap and a sexual landmine when they're on fire for God. You just can't. So what was going on? The game of sex was a diversion to David. Stolen waters is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. That's what Proverbs 9, 17 says. Hey, nobody knows. Nobody will ever know. It tastes so sweet. Food eaten in secrecy, it's so delicious. Nobody knew you took a bite. But oh, the impact is grave. David lacked self-awareness. He was unaware that his flirting with Bathsheba was really a sexual landmine that he was about to blow up his life. He ignored the caution tape and her dad and her husband were as away at war and he couldn't just say, leave it alone. It wasn't about sex for David. He had wives and he had concubines, women that were dedicated to pleasure him anytime he wanted. In a, in a relationship where they're exclusively for him. That's a concubine. So he had wives and concubines. What did he need with Bathsheba? It wasn't about sex. It was about conquest. But it wasn't just David that had a lack of self-awareness. Bathsheba also, she lacked self-awareness. She had no children at that time. She's home. She's lonely. Long for human companionship. Husband's at war. She doesn't know what's going on. In fact, an article that was produced by the Associated Press titled, Wives of Soldiers Become Impatient with War. They interviewed Toya Haddon, 25 years old. She said, I have a rough time. The doctors put me on antidepressants when my husband was deployed. I'm on Zoloft. My nerves are bad, having to deal with my kids and all the finances, she said. My mind keeps going to, to how they're being treated out there and all the uncertainty of when they're coming home. And she added, I know some wives are on Prozac. We sit there, we compare which antidepressant we're on. So when I take that truth of the reality of today's wives and when they deal with their husbands who are deployed at war, and I bring it back to historical days, I can see that, that, that Bathsheba, she, she's going through all kinds of emotional depression and all kinds of difficulty. Why? She's isolated and alone. And so when you don't know what's going on on the inside, you put yourself in harm's way. Most women fantasize over the idea of being pursued by an exciting, powerful, and rich man. David was all that. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, it describes David. The scripture says he was handsome in appearance and ruddy. R-U-D-D-Y. I looked up the word ruddy. It means rosy in your cheeks. A couple of years ago, I was reading this technical study by a university in England, and they were studying what are the features of the most handsome men in the world. And they said, the most handsome men in the world are ruddy in appearance. And then they listed Brad Pitt and Bill Clinton. 
And so when my wife walked in the room, I started plucking my cheeks to bring out some, some blood. But the idea is that my skin was too dark. She couldn't see that I was ruddy in appearance. I want you to see that the idea is that David, he was handsome. He was powerful as a warrior. He was rich. He was famous. And here's a man showing Bathsheba some interest. She just, ooh, just melted. Some of you ladies are fanning yourself right now as I talk about David. And you know, on top of it, all women want to look beautiful. And when David sent someone to find out who she was, got the information, then he sent this delegation dressed in the regalia to represent the king. He sends his limousine or his chariot in his day. And they come to Bathsheba's house and say, the king would like to meet with you. Every woman wants to look beautiful. She ran back in that house, got out her best stuff, put it on, put on her makeup, got her hair all fancy. When she stepped out of her house, all the nosy neighbors, they never saw a chariot like that in front of her house. They're all looking, and she's dressed to the nines, and she just waves at them, just waves. <laughs> she gets in the chariot, and they whisk her off to the palace. And she may have thought that, well, David wants to show some sense of care for the wives of the 30 mighty men. When she gets there, she's the only woman. They bring her into areas that they didn't even know was in the palace. It's private. It has the ambiance. This writer of psalms, this musician, this harpist, this singer of songs they call Israel's psalmist, David's there. He may have been just thumbing the harp as she's coming in. <laughs> and he says, come on in, Bathsheba. And they talk. I want you to see that when you practice self-awareness, you'll know what's going on. I remember it was about five or six years ago, I got this call, and when I picked up the phone, he said, Pastor, this is so-and-so. Let's call his name Franklin. This is Franklin. I, I need to meet with you. Me and my wife, Rebecca, we need to meet with you. And I knew him as a serious guy, and he wouldn't want to waste time. I said, let's meet. I set up a time. We came into my office. He hung his head. And he's always a jovial guy, always a nice guy, always excited, always positive, never someone forlorn. Hung his head, and he got right to it. He said, I had an affair. And you can see his wife is still seething with anger. And so I said, tell me what happened. And he began to describe how he had this affair, and it went on for about two or three months. And then I started asking some strategic question. I said, how are you doing in your business? He had his own business. He said, my business closed about six months ago. And I've been working at this other job. Then I probed a little bit further and I said, do you realize that you are depressed over your business? 
it's closing. When I said that, it was almost like I pushed this button. All of a sudden, this big, burly guy started weeping uncontrollably like a baby. His wife had never seen him like that before. She had thought this guy, he, he's just bad what he did. He, he hurt me so much. And, and then and what he did was so, so, so despicable. He's supposed to be a man of God. And, and here's what he's done. He's wounded me. And she's, she's accurate that he hurt her. But she put him in the wrong category of being bad. I said, no, he's not bad. He just didn't see how depressed he was. And his depression is what triggered this affair. Because he wasn't practicing self-awareness. Had he seen what was going on in his heart, he would have been able to sit with someone and let's unpack my feelings about how my business went through this implosion and help me to get myself back together again with my self-esteem and my courage. Us men, we struggle big time when our business don't work the way we want it to work because we want to be the providers and the leaders and show that we have it all together and we have a purpose. And when that doesn't work out well, and if you don't check your insides, you're going to find yourself coming so close to this, uh, this, this is landmine that's sexual because somebody's going to show you some attention. And all of a sudden, this young lady starts showing him some attention. And he dropped his guards, wouldn't pay attention to the caution tape of around the sexual landmine. And here he was in a full-blown affair. Was he a bad person? Absolutely not. But was he a blind person? Absolutely. Blind to his emotions. And it can happen to any one of us. May I suggest then that not only we practice self-awareness, we avoid false intimacy. False intimacy is when you think you're really close with someone and you're really not. False intimacy is when you concoct an illusion in your mind that, that of reality and it doesn't exist. A woman came to me and she said, and she looked so sad. I said, why are you so sad? She said, I, I broke up. Me and my boyfriend, we broke up. I said, how long have you been dating? She said, well, we really haven't been dating. So how did you break up if you haven't been dating? She said, well, I wanted to date. I said, then I pressed a little bit farther. I said, does he know you? She said, no. And so she gave me this five-page letter that she wanted me to read about her as, as she's expressing her feelings for this breakup. I said, I'm not reading a five-page letter. Single space. I'm not reading it. See, it was all in her mind. She had this, this, she concocted this thing in her mind that was so real. False intimacy is a self-created illusion. It's when you allow your imagination to run amok and not be restrained and not have bridles. And so I want you to see with Bathsheba, the, the, this, this, this false intimacy was when she gave a wrong valuation to the private dinner with the king. Wrong valuation to the ambiance. Wrong valuation to his attention that he paid her. Wrong valuation to the fact that he's rich and powerful and handsome. I want you to see that false intimacy is when you are making something more of to, its, to something than what it really is. And it can happen to any one of us because false intimacy, it's an illusion of this forbidden romance. It's what happens to guys like a King David. He didn't care anything about Bathsheba. He didn't care anything about sex. He, it was a conquest. 
The scripture tells us, though, when temptation strikes, that we're able to find freedom. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. So every one of us, whenever you're tempted, there's, there's always an escape hatch. You don't have to go through with it. Every one of us gets tempted, but not every one of us succumbs to the temptation. Just because someone makes an offer doesn't mean you have to accept. Just because someone is flirtatious doesn't mean you have to respond. God says, I will not put you in any circumstance, in any situation, with anybody where you can't run and be free from sin. That's heavy. When we succumb to temptation, it means that we're also compromising our relationship with God, compromising our faith. When you compromise your values and your integrity, the cost is very expensive. I want you to see that this whole idea of compromise can be challenging. There are signs when you compromise because of the cost of compromise. One of the signs is you devalue Scripture. When you compromise, you, 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 you lessen the authoritative voice of Scripture to you. It no longer has its, its leadership role in your life. It no longer has its influence in your life the way it used to. Another sign of the cost of compromise is truth becomes relative. You start thinking absolutes. They're not really absolutes. I, I, can, I can make adjustments. I can make changes. I, I can, you know, God will give me some latitude. It's okay. As long as I don't get caught, I'm good. No, you're paying a hefty price for compromise. Compromise, the cost also is a hard heart. Your conscience and, and concern for others, it just, it, it lessens. Uh, guys, you got to be, if you're married, don't, don't step on this sexual landmine. Think about your wife. Think about your children. Think about your church. Ladies, if you're married and, and, and you're about to compromise sexually, think about your husband. Think about your children. Think about your family. Think about your church. If you're single, you say, well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. Well, no, you may not have one now, but you'll, you might have one, and your compromising in your singleness will also lead to a greater propensity of you compromising in your marriage in that sexual area. I want you to see that sexual landmines have a tremendous impact and a wide range of, 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 of impact on people around you. If you let it blow you up, it touches others. There's a cost to compromise. You lose God's protection. The Bible says if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. In other words, if I connect with God, the devil has no access to me. But when I say, God, I'm going to do my own thing, it means that the devil has full access to me. And so compromise, it means now you are someone that has lost God's protection. You know what else compromise does? It makes you a bad witness. You can't authentically share your faith with unbelievers 
They're going to feel that you're a hypocrite. They're going to see your hypocrisy. They'll recognize your duplicity. And when that happens, you're going to find yourself in trouble. In fact, this is a great place to pull out your smartphone and take a picture because you want to make sure when you teach this to someone else, your kids, you can just rattle it off. They say, wow, how'd you get that graphic? You say, don't worry about it. I just have, I know stuff. But I want you to understand the value of what it means to maintain this sense of sexual purity. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. False intimacy, it's built on laziness. But true intimacy is built on hard work. True intimacy takes time. See, false intimacy gave Bathsheba the illusion of true companionship. False intimacy gave David the illusion of a worthwhile conquest. The power of false intimacy is easily broken when you ask yourself one question. What would Jesus do in this relationship if he were me? Let's refresh what we've learned so far. To avoid sexual landmines, you practice self-awareness. You avoid false intimacy and you safeguard your future. You have a bright future. The Bible says God has plans for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. God has plans for you. God's marvelous plans, though, are conditional upon you walking right and making right choices with Him. And so you don't want to mess that up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to mess up what God, God has in store for me. I don't know everything that God has in store for me, but I do know this. I don't want to mess it up. Anybody share that sentiment? I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess up my future. I've seen too many people mess up their future. I've seen too many individuals implode their lives, particularly on the matter of sexual landmines. Proverbs 5 verse 22 says, An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Joseph in the Bible he was a great example of a guy who avoided sexual landmines. And when you follow the trajectory of his life and the future of his life, he then was able to sit as second in command in Egypt at that time, the most powerful nation in the world. Why? Because he was able to, as I teach, safeguard his future. Proverbs 5 verse 23 shows us yet another side of this whole discussion. It says, death is the reward of an undisciplined life. Your foolish decisions trap you in a dead end. So it, if you're going to protect yourself sexually, you've got to really put some disciplines in place. And I'm going to give you a, a bunch of disciplines that you can put in place right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. And it's going to safeguard your life. And you'll look back in years to come and say, oh, thank God for that sermon on avoiding sexual landmines. It so shored me up and safeguard my future. Well, may I get a little bit... A little bit difficult with this one. How many of you were around in the kingdom of God in the 1980s? How many were living in the 1980s? Okay. Some of the young people here, they, they didn't even know there was 1980s. My children used to ask me, Dad, did, did they have Pathmark when you were growing up? Yeah, uh, did they have ShopRite? 
In other words, did they have cars? I mean, (laughs) come on. But Jim Baker was arguably the most popular televangelist in the 1970s and 1980s. He was the founder and president of the PTL Club, which stands for Praise the Lord. He and his former wife, she went home to be with the Lord years ago, Tammy Faye, they built the famous Heritage Village and Heritage USA, a Christian theme park in Fort Mill, South Carolina. This 2,300-acre theme park opened in 1978 and attracted 6 million visitors annually. Before it closed in 1989, Heritage USA had some 2,500 employees. Jim Baker says he needed a million dollars every week just to run his ministry. Christians worldwide vacationed there. Some even lived in the condos that they built on the land there at Heritage USA and homes on the property. They lived there full time. Everything came crashing down when Jim Baker had a 15-minute sexual tryst with a church secretary that was from Long Island. She alleged it was a rape. He paid her cover-up money to hush her up. That came public. Shortly thereafter, he was convicted of account fraud, accounting fraud, and served approximately five years in federal prison. While in prison, his wife divorced him and married his best friend, the one who was the builder for Heritage USA. In his book, I Was Wrong, Jim Baker admits, quote, I knew I was wrong the moment I entered the hotel room. I should have run out of that place. Nobody forced me into the room or to stay once I was there. Yet I rationalized the situation. I was feeling rejected by my wife. I knew that Tammy Faye was seeing another man. I was wondering whether I was much of a man at all. Suddenly, I felt as though I were an adolescent boy who had to prove he was a man by having sex. I willfully crossed the line and went through with it. Sexual landmines do great damage. When that happened, it had a ripple effect across Christendom worldwide. It even affected our church in terms of the giving even dropped off because people stopped trusting clergy when we had nothing to do with it, but it was just the climate because one man fell. When you see Heritage USA today, I want him to put that shot back up. When you see Heritage USA today, it looks like a graveyard. I remember walking on that property about 10 years ago, and all I can do is cry out and say, God, help me to walk upright before you and before the world. Very frightening. But when I bring you back to Scripture now, we realize, you know, there was something so, it was like almost like a game changer for David. David went down this, this spiral. He, to cover up the fact that he got Bathsheba pregnant, he, he had her husband killed. Then he married Bathsheba. The baby was born, the baby died. And for one year, David never repented. 
And at the end of the one year, he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And at the heels of the confrontation, David finally repented before God. And when he repented, it was a game changer for David. It was so liberating and transformative. One single thing that you can do before God that can, that can come and wipe out that, 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 the impact of the landmine and clean your life from the soot of the explosion of that sexual landmine is wrapped up in that word repentance. David had broken three of the Ten Commandments. One commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. He broke it, lusting and coveting Bathsheba. Another commandment, you must not commit adultery. David broke it, having adultery with Bathsheba. Another commandment, you shall not murder. David broke it, having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed and yet when David finally came to his senses, because sin makes you like a fool, it makes you like a madman, like a crazy woman, you lose your perspective and who you are. David then, he was so broken, so contrite, so repentant, so remorseful, so changed on the inside that he wrote a song out of it. One of the most famous psalms in all of the Bible is Psalm 51. And there David pours out his heart before God. And then the world globally saw this man's repentance from his sin. That's why I always say, let the circle of your confession be the circle, or let the circle of your sin reflect the circle of your confession. So that means that if you sinned and it's public, you got to confess publicly. You sin privately and five people know, you got to confess and ask for forgiveness among those five. Let the circle of your confession reflect the circle of your sin. David sinned publicly. The whole world saw and understood what David did. So that's a bad guy. And so David wrote this psalm. Israel was singing it. We read it now. Verse 1 says, Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I've violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're, what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, then. Conceive a new, true life. That's what David sang. He made no bones about, I gotta repent. He used the terms that launderers use, people that wash clothes. He says, wipe out, scrub, soak. My heart's been stained for a year of not repented, for a year of not gotten things right, for a year I've lived a hypocrite's life, for a year I've lived a backslidden life, for a year I've been in all the public meetings as I had to show in this religious nation of Israel and act that way. But God, I need you to come and wash the stain from me. And I'm saying to you, if you're someone, you're hanging around sexual landmines, you're flirting with her. You're letting her flirt with you. I want you to understand. You need to see danger. 
danger, 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 danger. Stop it. Walk away. Run away. Flee sexual immorality. Don't succumb to it. If you've been involved, break it off. Get free. It's not good to live a compromised life. I plead with you as your shepherd. Don't let your life be stained by sexual sin. God in his infinite mercy can forgive you and wipe you and wash you. You don't have to walk around living beneath the standard of God's beauty of holiness. You can enjoy integrity and enjoy honesty and enjoy openness and enjoy kindness. You need to be able to walk into the house of God and strut with joy knowing that I'm walking holy because the Lord has washed me. The Lord has set me free. I want you to know we serve that kind of God. Repentance cleans the heart. Good habits keeps you clean. Repentance sets you free, but good habits keep you free. Very quickly, three good habits to keep you free. Establish a purity covenant before God. What do you mean by that? Say to God, God, I promise to walk right with you in my sexuality, period. In fact, I'm going to ask you to enter one with me in a moment before God. Second habit, develop accountability partnership. Someone you can talk to and say, you know, man, I, this girl on the job, or this guy, man, I just, when I get around him, I just, uh, my, my guards are dropped. I just, he's so nice. He, he, you know, it's when he speaks, it's almost like music. I just, you better tell someone. And they're not going to say, well, what song? No, they're going to help you get free. They're going to help you break that thing. They're going to hold you accountable. Third thing you do, if you're going to be someone that not only is set free from repentance, but stay free through good habits, is that you got to make hard and, the hard decisions and the necessary decisions. Now, I want to be very clear with this. If you're dating someone and you guys are fooling around, you got to stop that. Because it doesn't represent you and doesn't represent God and doesn't honor God's word. And you say, I, I can't stop. Well, get married. Break it off. If you're living with someone, oh, it's my soulmate. How could you live with someone, have just free, loose, regular sexual relationship and in the same breath say that you're a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus. You can't. So you have to make a choice, a hard decision. You say, what do I do? Get married. Oh, it's expensive. No, it's not. We take you right into the Q, Q Chapel, Q Hall, right back there. And you get married. See, don't spend the money on the wedding. Spend the money on the marriage. So, and you may say, well, I don't want to get married to him. I don't want to get married to her. Well, live separately. Well, I don't have the money. If it was me, I'd go and get a room at the Y. And walk down the hall and get a shower. Walk back. Have my room but know that I'm walking in sexual purity before God. 
And you say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, break it off. If you don't want to get married to him or get married to her, what are you, what are you doing with them? You got to quit. When I was single, I was dating this girl because, I mean, I really didn't, wasn't that interested. I just didn't want to be alone. I'm just a young Christian, about maybe three, four months old in my faith. One of the older guys, he was about six months old in his faith. <laughs> he came up to me, he said, look, David, let me tell you something. That girl that you're dating, that's God's daughter. If you're not interested in her, leave her alone. Best advice I got. Thank God. So we need people like that in our lives. That'll just tell us like it is. And sometimes we may get mad at them, but hey, I'd rather be the pastor that tells you what the scripture says, and you get mad at me and pout and use Shakespearean terms, me protest. I'd rather you do that than say, that guy never tells the truth. I'd rather be the one that says, hey, I hold you accountable to the scriptures. Those are three little habits that I ask you to get involved in and to do.